Welcome to GradCast, the official podcast of the Society of Graduate Students at the University of Western Ontario. Coming to you from the other London, let's start the show. Welcome to GradCast, the official podcast society of graduate students at the University of Western Ontario. I'm Tristan Johnson here with tonight. I am joined by my co-host, Alex Mazinski. Hi, everyone. <laughs> He's super, super enthusiastic to be here today. Yes. <laughs> and we have an amazing guest today. It was like third, our third guest in our like anthropology series we've been doing. Thank you, Christine, for helping us out with that. Represent, yay. <laughs> and... Anthropologists are doing some really amazing work, and Nathan, I want you to introduce your own research because I don't think I could do it any better than what you're doing. Like, I mean, you guys are all solving these, are working on these really huge problems. Well, essentially, I'm uh, talking to male sex workers in London, Ontario, and um, from there, I'm using their stories and going to find out what's going on regarding sex work, also just how they actually, I'm going to be analyzing how they talk to me about it. And from there, I can actually learn some pretty interesting things about how they conceptualize their own lives and the culture they live in. And, and so um, what brought you to this extremely specific subset of people? Well, if you recall, there was the um, debates about sex work laws, um, Canada versus Bedford. And a lot of the radio play and media attention was focused on advocates and lumping together of female sex work and human trafficking. And there was some voices missing and they were the men and not to mention other genders too. Um, and because I just, every time I kept turning on the radio or whatever during that period, there was nobody talking about it and also i thought there was a lot of portrayals of the clients of sex workers as well in a very negative light and i was curious is this true is it the same experience for men as it is for the women and what i found out so far has been it's quite diverse so yeah, well, I, I remember this period because it just happened earlier this year. And I remember that not only were like sex workers almost 100% portrayed as women, but they were almost 100% portrayed as heterosexual. And the clients were almost always portrayed as men. And also um, they were like people who were coming to it voluntarily. People who were coming to it as an economic thing. And also people who were victims of human trafficking were just lumped in this very amorphous um identity and it, it definitely needs people to go in and pick apart all of these identities. Right. And I mean, that's not to negate the people who actually are victims and, you know, have been trafficked. And I mean, those are, some of those are real voices, but what happens is it gets distorted and we ignore so many other experiences um, that I think, there's just a fine line and especially when they're making laws that are affecting all the people but based on a select few um if i one of the stats from 2007 said that 20 percent of all sex workers in canada are street workers and they're the ones who get portrayed um the most but there's all these other venues that people are 
um, for lack of a better term, working um, that are ignored. Yeah, they're like it's usually like in businesses. Um, there's like code words and things and like. Yeah, there's each each sector has its own way of describing what they're doing. So I guess one of, one question that comes to mind based on what we've all been saying is what is the prevailing view then of sex work in general, and and why is it that the, the male sex workers are are so underrepresented in their voice um, in terms of the legislation that's being talked about and put in place? What was happening in my mind is I'm trying to explain a complicated topic <laughs> to you in you know a few words, and I don't think I can do that specifically without overgeneralizing, but one side is there was the feminist sex wars in the 1980s, give or take. And from there, if you familiarize yourself with that history, it um, it's pretty complicated. But there's this one sect of feminism that is about patriarchy, men oppressing women, and... From there, uh, they get a lot of the funding. Um, anybody who takes that approach in, in advocacy. And the simplest way to put it is, especially locally, they're the ones with the funding. They're the ones who get contacted by the main media um, and our local media is actually quite conservative as it is so um they're gonna prevail with the with the norms um men are ignored because we have different aspects here we have the um that if men are selling then it totally changes the idea of men oppressing women instead and i found out that we have women and men buying sex from men that changes things. That changes the, the whole conversation. And it's too complex for me to, you know, articulate here, but um, I'm going to obviously have to explore that more in my, my research. But the conversation changes. Um, and it impacts feminist politics, essentially. And that's a scary way to go. It's not like uh, as simple as, say, like activists from the 80s, like Catherine McKinnon, for example, would make it out to be. Exactly. I imagine that you're that she's uh, she's done a lot of damage. Uh, I wouldn't say damage, so to speak, but there is a, a loud body of scholars who are against what she said. So, mm-hmm. okay, so you plan on talking to this community in London? Yep, I've talked to um, eighteen male sex workers, and actually, incidentally, one female sex worker um, because it was a, a a couple who sold sex um, independently. So I was like, why not talk to them? Um, so yeah, I've had 19 interviews and um, I found out a heck of a lot. And I still have a couple more years to go too. So I'm really fascinated by um, anthropological methodology. So hmm. I'm just interested, like how? So how do? You, how are you approaching them? What are you saying? Like what kind of? questions and um how are you like like recording it and everything okay so you want me to talk about some recruitment what i've been doing for that that wise Mm -hmm. um i've started off by going to 
the obvious websites that actually, you know, uh, like Rentboy and um, Squirt.org and um, basically escorts for hire type websites and looking for specific lo local workers. From there, um, I wasn't getting as much of a response as I would have liked. So I ended up just putting out flyers in the community. Um, I've gone up and down Oxford Street and like from Highbury to all the way to Wonderland, just walking, putting up posters. And, and I've gotten so many responses um, through that. Um, what happens is they end up contacting me. You know, I do the whole, are you over 18 type thing. Um, and then we end up meeting wherever they want. Usually it's the central library um, because it's kind of a neutral space. Mm -hmm. um, I've, I've noticed that for a lot of things in London. Mm -hmm. um, and it's a familiar area for everybody. And from there, um, usually, you know, we talk about their childhoods, um, how they started into the, into the work, um, their sexuality, um, what they like and dislike about the job, if they how they identify is this a job for them are they suffering are they not suffering what do they need what do they don't need i mean we talk about it all i mean it's life stories right so i want to contextualize that in these people are people you know these are not just you know whores on the street kind of concept um and when you talk to them it's you know you can actually place yourself in in their shoes a lot of the time um and we kind of co-construct like this this conversation about how they've experienced their lives and it's not all i mean i've had some pretty traumatic stories that i've been told but i've also had some really really nifty stories too and now i know you're you're several years from finishing your yeah. research but uh could you say uh what kind of insights you've gained about um about from meeting with all these people um there's a lot of drug use in London. Um, a lot of them are supporting their addictions. Um, regardless of whether they're getting help or not, they still need the money for it and it's quite expensive. Um, some are doing it for kink, for kicks. They just find it to be something erotic. Um, others are doing it. One guy, he's putting his... Uh, daughter through college by selling um others rent they got kicked out when they were really young um others i mean there's a family history um but yeah that there's that's some of it <laughs> if you had to place this is kind of probably a tricky question but yeah what would be the most surprising thing to you that you've learned going in uh, that you maybe hmm. had one thought going in and, and different one now. Um, it's my own bias, bias which is I'm gay. So in our, you know, media, there's a lot more discussion about male escorts selling to men. I found out that we have women buying sex, and that totally floored me. Um, I was not expecting that, and there's a lot more of them than I was expecting. Why do you think that was so surprising to you? Um, I think it was um, my own norms of, I think, male and female sexuality, to be honest. Um, 
Also, the research out there does not talk about women buying sex. Um, everything that I've read. That's a really, I think that's a really interesting finding to stumble upon. Um, I, I read your article on yeah. that, so I figured that would be your answer. <laughs> um, but no, that was, uh, that. I was surprised by that too, actually, because what I find is that the way things are portrayed in society is that you have a person who is vulnerable, um, not necessarily doing it because they want to or like it, right. and that you know, the, the prevailing view is that that is a woman and that men are these, you know, people who are keeping, you know, those people who've, who have this career down, basically. Right. So Even it's either Johns. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, so, and we have a John school in London, so. John school? A John school. What's Do you know that? what that is? I don't know what that is. That's new and let's listen. All right. So that's uh, <laughs> the, we want anybody who has been arrested for, um, I guess, wanting to buy the services of a sex worker, um, and they've been caught, they, part of their um, sentence, sentence, so to speak, mm-hmm. is they go to a John school where they fill them full of propaganda to try to get them not to buy sex again and see how damaging it is, regardless of the rallies or not. I've never heard of that before. So, so if you are... First of all, is it a criminal offense to... It's to communicate for the purposes of um, buying is, but it's not illegal to advertise your services, which is really messed up and confusing. That is really confusing. So... One of the critiques of the law. (laughs) To add to the confusion about, you know, male versus female, selling to men versus selling to women, um, and and other, Mm -hmm. I guess, blurred lines within genders, we'll say... Um, now we have also a, a mismatch between whether or not you're allowed to advertise or seek. Um, so the whole thing sounds like it's a bit of a, a mess. Do you think that your research and other similar research will help to clarify these things for future Canadian politicians? I'm a quiet little voice, right? Um, I would like to think that the small guy can prevail, but when there's a lot more research out there saying you know, other things, you know, and they have the money and they have the power. I'm not so optimistic, but in a local policy setting, I would like to think I, you know, could do something with it to inform the public. I mean, um, one of the things I'd like to do is um, maybe form a, a men's mission or something like that, but not specifically trying to save anybody but just to be a place where guys that are selling sex can go and get the resources they need or information about the resources they need um, or don't need. Um, Because nowadays, a lot of the guys that I've talked to are all do it online. So there's not like a community of sex workers. So they don't know each other. They can't relate to each other's experiences or not. It's pretty lonely. So would you say that Possibly isolation and even mental health problems will become more of a, an issue in this group? Uh, I definitely, there are a few who are on ODSP for mental health, um, more depression type things, um, which 
I'm not sure who isn't depressed anymore in today's society. Um, so I don't want to <laughs> lump their, you know, their work or their past and into that. But so uh, one thing that was interesting when you were talking about is, is um, did you find you said that likely that difference in clientele, men and women were both. Uh, I was I had two questions, and you mm-hmm. can answer them whatever order you want. Yeah. Um, what did you did you find anything surprising, or what were your results like for uh, sexual orientation among these people? Okay. And the second question I was wondering is, um, is everyone you interviewed biologically male or are they just ma- uh, male identified? Like, is it's all, it's all cis, um, okay. cis males. Cis males. So like, uh, is like, would you extend this, um, this research study or would that be too broad to work at like, uh, with trans men? And I'm, it's generically put out there. If a trans man want, man wants to come talk to me, I don't have anything that says it has to be a cis male. Um, I'm not entirely sure they exist in London specifically. Um, I think a lot of people migrate to the bigger cities because um, there's more resources for you there. But that's one thing I've also learned is small cities have sex workers in them. You Usually the thought is, you know, Toronto, Vancouver, the big meccas, New York mm-hmm. is where the sex work is. And then that's not an issue here in the small, small town. Every small town has a sex worker somewhere. Interesting. So you were surprised by just how many there were? Yeah. Um, I actually started off doing my master's, mm-hmm. and we ended up fast-tracking because I found so many people to talk to. We weren't expecting so many. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, I mean, for for your, for your work, anyway. Yeah, for sure. And, I mean, they are voices that aren't heard, and hopefully by the end of my research, I can... You can say something. Say something. (laughs) So because of the the lack of a voice that they've had, um, and and I guess while you're digging down into what's happening here, um, would you say that they're, and I don't want to sound anti-feminist or anything because I'm I'm not, um, but would you say that there's a mismatch between people's perceptions of what feminism is and what it really stands for. Oh, God, I remember yeah. Emma Watson's address to the UN um, was basically all about equality and not about anything. Watson's address to the to the UN, and, and she was basically saying that like feminist doesn't have to do with you know women trying to be better than or have power over men in any way. It's just about equality, and in terms of getting those equal rights, we don't want to start to misrepresent or underrepresent anybody so are you exposing a group of people that is being underrepresented by a very important movement in human rights i would say yes i would like to know why emma watson thinks she's a person a spokesperson for for all of women um i know i've read a lot of women critiquing her views you mean a multi-millionaire white woman from England doesn't what? know everything about women? <laughs> exactly. Privilege. Um, basically, our conceptualizations of what feminism is, is individual. It comes from our own exposure to education, the media, whatever. So everybody has their own image of what it is. So there's blur boundaries. What it really is in the core, I'm not qualified to answer, and I'm not sure anybody really is. There's probably like 
an entire field of people like writing books and stuff with to figure all that out. Exactly, and I mean, we have our feminist studies program, and that's what they study. So, um, I mean, and they, everybody just has their own opinion on it, and that's what's confusing about it all, because you want everything, you know, to logically just kind of make sense. You want to be able to say something concrete, and one of the things that I keep fighting in my own work and theoretical methods and everything is, what can I really say about anything? And I get it in this like solipsis of, you know, is there real truth and all this kind of mumbo jumbo? And I'm like, wait, no, you're yeah, getting distracted. Let's talk to the people. You're stepping into the humanities at that point. Exactly. <laughs> and and that's what is kind of the, the hardest thing is, and it's, we need to talk to the people. And then once we've talked to the people, what do we do with that? What do we do with the fact that we have victims? We have people who are addicts. We have people who just are need some money. Business. It's just the job. Yeah. Um, it pays better than McDonald's. It really does. And if you're into sex with random strangers, getting paid a hundred bucks to have sex for an hour, it's better than working an eight hour day. Uh, so I want to, I always want to get in the habit of asking this, like, this is where uh, we're running out of time. And I just wanted to ask you one more question. So if somebody was interested in this topic and somebody wanted to learn more, what, uh, what direction would you point them in? I would say definitely contact me and we can have a long, long, long conversation that I can actually, you know, help you find some, some resources. Um, I would go to hook online or Maggie's out of Toronto. They are sex worker led organizations. Um, the hook one is actually male sex workers led, um, and anything you need to know, they basically have there. You have academic articles, you have articles written by sex workers for sex workers, um, resources, everything. I mean, in some way, I mean, I'm a white male with privilege, right? So there's a part of me that's like, I'm not, I'm not an authority, but I am because I have privilege. So I would definitely go there first. All right, Nathan, thank you so much for coming to talk to us. You've really shone a light on something that I imagine many people haven't even thought of, let alone. Yeah. It's well, I, I'm not sure. I, I don't feel like I shined a light. If not, I just made hopefully some people think a little bit more about what you're seeing. So. Well, thank you for doing Thank you, guys. So That's all we got for this week. If you like this episode, share with someone. Check us all out on Twitter and Facebook. Both you can find through GradCast Radio. You can go to our website to see more episodes at gradcastradio.ca. And if you want to come on the show and talk about your own research, great line for your CV, go to gradcastradio at gmail.com. The theme is Happy Boy by Kevin McLeod, and we will see you guys next time.